Welcome to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm Dr. Sanj Kakar. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many people are under orders to remain at home. This raises concerns for those whose domestic life may be in an abusive situation. In addition to the pandemic, this has called financial burdens and emotional stress, which can increase the likelihood of domestic violence. With us to discuss these very important issues, Mayo Clinic social worker, Amanda Kabista-Owen. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thank you. Amanda, can you tell us, obviously in the last three months, we've been talking a lot about COVID-19 and how it affects us physically, but what are you seeing in terms of emotionally regarding abuse uh, of uh, patients at home? A lot of us understand how incredibly stressful it can be to, to need to be in our home all of the time. And when you couple that with a person that's already in an abusive relationship, um, whether it be um, emotional, physical, mental, um, financial, um, we see these increased stressors causing uh, probably in more increased abuse in, in whatever form that we're seeing it. So I work in a um, domestic violence sexual assault program at Mayo Clinic here in Southwest Wisconsin, and I've received some calls that, you know, many people that I work with are, are isolated in their homes and, and they don't know what resources are available to them or understand um, how they safely could leave their situation now given the circumstances that we're under. So Amanda, obviously now with stay-at-home orders, uh, both uh, partners are staying at home as well as children. Have you seen um, changes in who's uh, being abused and how that's happening? I certainly have seen an increase in all types of abuse across the board. Um, what what I see is that people that were experiencing abuse previous to COVID-19, now it seems like those situations have increased, become more dangerous. And, and we're seeing that not only with domestic violence, but childhood sexual assaults or um, human trafficking, um, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, um, all sorts of ways in, in which we see vulnerable populations are are, are even more vulnerable at this time. We're also seeing the uh, economic burden of uh, COVID-19. Um, as you see, the unemployment rates are up. Is this also uh, affecting the type of abuse uh, patients are subjected to? If you think about um, economic abuse, as it is, it's, it's a form of, of an abuse where one person is controlling the finances of a family. And, and oftentimes the person that's being abused, their, their finances are restricted, they're not allowed to work, or if they are working, perhaps um, their money is taken from them right away. Um, I've worked with individuals who said, you know, I, I raised five children um, taking care of all of their basic needs on $50 a week. Pretty resourceful, pretty amazing. And now when you look at a situation where many people are unemployed, many people don't have any kind of income coming in, you're going to see those stressors increase. Those, those, um, and when you see stress increase, you're going to see um, increased instances of abuse, whether it's economic, whether it's physical, it's, it's, it all kind of just bubbles up. And at times, you'll see it come out in many different ways. If I've been a victim of abuse before, how does one keep one safe? Is there any safeguards that they can put in place to protect themselves? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. And now, um, given the fact that we have safe at safe at home, it's it's going to be different. Um, we don't have 
the resources in a way that we had them before. Um, although there's many things that you can do to protect yourself um, or to develop a plan for safety. So many things that I've done is I've done um, safety planning over the phone with people who have called in um, to our, our clinic and we've talked about, you know, having a cell phone if that's possible or if you have an old cell phone, those will call 911 always as long as it can turn on and, and it has power. So I'll talk to people about having, you know, maybe a couple cell phones hidden around the home if they need to. I'll also talk to them about um, trying to connect if possible with a support person. As we're seeing now, people are more isolated. So that might be in a virtual way if that's possible, um, FaceTime or different ways to, to reach out if, that, if that's a safe thing to do. Um, also having a getaway bag, bag packed or an exit strategy is um, something that's really important. Um, if you're able to talk to your neighbors and let them know what's going on, perhaps they can help you. Um, I've had people develop a, a code with their neighbor, like if they call them and said, hey, I need maybe a cup of sugar or something, that's their plan um, and their cue to call 911, maybe. Um, also, when you're getting ready to leave, packing those essential things if, if you need to leave, um, making sure you have your medications, making sure you have that important documentation that you might need to uh, get into a shelter perhaps, um, like your ID or birth certificate or, or those important documents. Um, of course, having a few basic things like clothing and, and toothbrush and that thing, if you can. But those other important items that you would wanna think about is maybe an extra set of keys to get out or to get into the car, like those kinds of things are important for safety planning. And what about what about things like money uh, or if you have children in the in the house that you're worried about as well, what sort of protections or uh, plans should you be thinking of in advance? You definitely want your plan to be age appropriate for your child, right? So depending on, on what your child is able to understand and comprehend, but letting them know what's going on if you can and it's safe to do so of what the exit plan is or safety plan is. Um, letting them know that you're a safe person to talk to. So if something's happening to them, um, that they can come and talk to you and it, it, it's okay and you're gonna be safe and, and get help for them. We're already financially strapped. Um, our shelters are essential services right now, our, our domestic violence shelters. So if you're in need of an emergency shelter, you, you can access those. Um, some places do have some financial assistance if needed. Um, if you're able to, to squirrel away money in, in a sense, do so. Um, but right now, that's, I know that's going to be a harder, harder thing to do. There are some social services agencies out there that are available. Um, the advocates at the agencies for domestic violence and sexual assault will, will know what, what um, services can help as well. And if I'm a, a friend or a family member of somebody who I know has had a history of being abused in the past, what, what can I do from my perspective? If you know they have a history or even just a current situation going on is, is be there to listen to them. Don't give them an ultimatum of if you don't leave them, I can't be in a, I can't support you any longer. That's, that's even isolating that person further. In this situation, if we're able to offer them a safe place to stay with their shelter in place, you could do that. that that'd be a great thing because sometimes people don't necessarily feel safe going to an emergency shelter for help and maybe 
their support person would be a better option for them. Be available to them to listen ultimately and, and try to be creative and safe about how you can do that. Oftentimes when we're in a situation as an abusive, in an abusive situation and you're isolated, it may not be safe for them to necessarily talk to you on the phone or, or something else, but maybe there's a different way you can figure that out with them. But trust that that person knows what's safest for them as well. So Amanda, are there any resources or services available that our listeners should be aware of? So there definitely are some resources that are available. Every, depending on where you live, what state you're from, the county that you live in, or the state that you live in has a coalition, a domestic violence or sexual assault coalition. So you can look that up. So if you're able to Google resources and just say domestic violence resources in, in my area, you can, you can usually navigate to those um, websites rather quickly and find out what resources are available for you in your area. It's hard to say in, in these times specifically who exactly is offering what types of resources, but those websites have been kept up to date at the state level. They also have a quick exit button. So if you're in a situation where um, it's not may not be essentially safe for you to be looking up these websites, but you have to do so quickly or exit quickly. You can you can quickly hit that button and and leave those websites. So that's where I would definitely recommend um, someone to go to. There's also national hotlines available. It's usually just going on a Google search for for your area. Our thanks to Mayo Clinic social worker Amanda Cabista Owen. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thank you very much. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.